as a child, was being a CEO always your childhood dream? You know, not really. You know, because of poverty. And I just want to tell you a short story. I went to school far from home, come rain or shine, barefoot. Most of the time, I was taken out of class because I did not have school uniform. As you can see, I'm tall. And I'm tall up to today, even in my old age, because I, I still have that feeling that I want to make people to realize that I'm very tall. Being tall those days made me not to have enough clothes because I grew up so fast that even the gym dress, I don't know how many of you know gym dress. It's yes. a black dress that you have this. And because I was tall and my gym dress became short and my grandmother who raised us as orphans did not have enough money because she was receiving pension money. Mm -hmm. So she had to make a plan. She had to go and get a piece of cloth and lengthen that gym dress on top to the extent that the chest was on my waist. Mm -hmm. And everybody used to tease me to say, I'm as tall as my gym dress is tall. And um, going to school hungry, that made me to really truly say to myself, one day I want to become something. Mm. But I was not too sure, you know, whether I wanted to become a CEO. I think by then, I was not thinking about titles. Mm. I was thinking about, I want to make a difference in people's lives because so many people funded my education. I got scholarships and bursaries those days from Coca-Cola, from race relations and so on, from standard six if some of you know standard six, uh, you can calculate and tell me what grade it is. I don't know what grade grade is standard eight. six. Grade, grade eight. eight. Yes. From grade eight up to postdoctoral degree, I never paid a cent. Wow. The, the, the universe, through God's grace, paid for my education to be where I am. Mm. And I said to myself, I want to give back. I want to give back to society and at first I thought, I want to become a medical doctor. And later when I changed, I said, no, I want to become a social worker because that's when I believed I would help the poor and I'll help and make sure that children go to school mm. and families have got food on the table. And then through God's grace, I walked the journey and my journey led me to become the CEO. And that was the best thing that ever happened. But you know, I didn't plan it. Mm. I thank God because I went through that and became a CEO and that gave me to be in a position of making decisions that influences exactly what I wanted to do, improving the quality of life of people. Mm, that's powerful. I think what's coming up for me as well as you're talking is the challenges that you went through. Most of us as entrepreneurs, we go through various challenges, either personally or in business. How did you overcome some of the challenges that you just spoke about now? You know, as I said, Dineo, one of the values that through going through the fires of poverty, unemployment, inequality, injustices, and all sorts of things, including social life, understanding those challenges, the value that came out strongly for me was being resilient. Because I realized that as a young person, I became an entrepreneur at the age of 16, by the way. Mm. You know, I started with plowing and planting vegetables at the backyard of my grandmother's house and selling vegetables to other families and taking some of the vegetables to school. 
And then later on, I realized, but I've got a talent of working with my hands. I can braid hair. And, you know, I'm glad that that fashion of braiding hair with blocks and crosses and rolls. So I started a business where the nurses around uh, the hospital that were, was close to home used to come to my place. After school, I was not resting. I was busy plating hair, getting 50 cents per head. And at the end of the day, if I had three rand, which were six people, I would be so exhausted. But I would be excited because I've got three rand. It was a lot of money because I was able to buy bread and a piece of meat for my family to eat. So I started then. So I've seen all of these challenges, Dineo, and that made me to be resilient. And one message that I can say to entrepreneurs is that you have to have what it takes mm. to stay on and be resilient no matter what challenges you are facing. And the other thing was to be open about who I am, to be authentic. Mm. I've never gone out to people that have and told them that I have when I knew I don't have. Yeah. So talking about poverty to others, those that had, was to say to them, I don't have, but I want to become, like I went to many other people to say, I want to go to high school. I don't, my grandmother doesn't have money to take, to, to, to take me to, house, to high school. What must I do? Mm. And those helped me to say, you can apply for bazaars. I didn't even know what the word bazaar mean. Then I, I exposed myself to those. And that helped me because those people assisted me to apply for bazaars and be able to finish my education. Mm. So the same journey was to say as an entrepreneur, in areas where I did not know much, was to go back to those that knew better mm. to ask them, they're asking me to prepare a business plan. What is this? Can you somebody help me to prepare a business plan? They're asking me that I must register a company. How do I do it? They're asking me that I need to get funding. Where do I start? Where do I knock? How can I do it? And I've learned those things because of the journey that I went through. Hmm. Now, your grandmother seems to have played a very significant role in your life. How has she shaped the leader in you? Yeah, you know, just briefly, my grandmother was a very compassionate person. During those days, you know, we lived in Hamanskral. To me, you know Hamanskral. In a three-roomed house, which is one bedroom, one kitchen, one dining room, which is dining room, lounge, everything <laughs> there. But at my house, at my grandmother's house, every room was a bedroom because she accommodated so many people that came from all over the show. Whoever couldn't speak the township language, people will send them, you see that Portuguese woman, go there. So my grandmother used to accommodate, she was compassionate. Mm. And one thing that she taught me is compassion. To love other people more than I love myself. To understand that the little that I have, I can share it with other people. And to also understand that in life, you have to be selfless. It's not about you. God did not put you here on earth just to accumulate things for yourself. And as I always say to people, you know, you are blessed to be a blessing. Your hands are open. You can't do this when you, when you receive. We tend to do this, isn't it? Because when you do this, it means you're receiving for yourself. But she taught me one thing. Open your hands like this. 
so that whatever falls here, and you must make it flat so that it flows in between your fingers. Mm. Whatever remains here is yours. Whatever goes through your fingers is for other people. And you need to be able to know who are those people that you need to assist. And that made me and confirmed my need to become even a social worker, mm. to do more. And even now, as a development activist, to give everything that I have to other people to become better than I have become. Mm. Where do you draw inspiration? Yeah. <laughs> Dineo, you know, I draw inspiration from every man and woman, old and young, from all walks of life. People who are resilient, who make it in life, no matter what. Mm. I have seen men and women, young and old, who struggle every single day to put bread on the table. Those are the people that inspire me. I travel a lot on the continent. You know, my company does infrastructure development on the continent. And that every time when I go to communities, because for me, the first thing is, for every project that we do in a country, any country on the continent, the first thing is to look at who, where are the entrepreneurs in those countries, in those communities that must come and be part of the projects that we are doing. And when I see people coming through to say, we are women, we are a group of women, but we have nothing. I would say, at work they always laugh, I say, where are your wheelbarrows? Do you have your space and your forks and so on? Bring them, let's contract them so that you can get something. So even the bucky builders, as I call them, those are the people that inspire me, Dineo, to say, irrespective of where they are, mm. every single day they want to make a difference in their lives and in their family lives. Those are my inspirations. Mm. Powerful. Now I want to move to the aspect of the importance of prayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is a very different interview, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why is prayer so important to you? I become emotional, actually, when you say that, Dineo. Because... I saw my grandmother when my parents passed on and we were young and there were many of us, my uncle's children, my aunt's children, and my grandmother had to raise us. Every single morning, every evening, my grandmother used to say, you remember what happened to the children of Israel? They asked for God to drop down the manna for them. So we don't have food. There's nothing for you to eat. Can we pray and ask God to send someone that will come here and give us something for us to be able to eat? And that taught me prayer, Dineo, to the extent that every single thing that I do in my life, I ensure that I ask God and I confirm with him that it is right, to the extent that I'm unashamedly Christian business leader, mm. to the extent that in my business, whether it's staff meetings, 
whether it's farewell parties, whether it's board meetings, whether it's exco meetings, we start our meetings with prayer. Here are my colleagues from Begin. They can attest to that. Because prayer, for me, anchors me to remember to do good, to remember to be selfless, to remember to say everything that we do, the billions of projects, billions of dollars of projects that we do, those projects must benefit every community where those projects are. And prayer anchors me every time to remember I must be ethical, to remember I cannot be corrupt, mm. to remember all of those things to say, it's not about us, it's not about Biggin, mm. it's, it's about those communities that we, we work in. And for me, that's the reason why prayer. And prayer, Dineo, has anchored me to the level to be where I am today. And every single day, I have to say to God, thank you for the day. I hope that today I've represented you. Mm. I have done what you wanted me to do today. In the morning, guide me, lead me, show me what I need to do. Because sometimes we don't even think about the things that we are going to be doing during the day. We just go mm. and it's a treadmill. Where else sometimes if we pause and ask God, what do you want me to do? And then, then you get, you know, sometimes you, you're driving on the road and then, then you see something and the Lord tells you stop. Or you see something on Twitter. I've seen things on Twitter mm. where people are asking for money. And I'm asking myself, do I donate? Do I contribute? Lord, show me. And then when you've got that and the Lord said, why would I have shown you if you did not, if I did not want you to do it? Then you know. So the prayer for me, I don't know, it's my life. Mm. It's who I am and I will never stop. Because I saw my grandmother, even at the age of 106, she was praying. Even the day when she left to be with the Lord, she was praying. She kept on saying, Heavenly Father, take me, take me, take me to be with my husband, William. William is waiting on the other side. I want to join him. And I actually one day said to her, to her but Granny, please, you taught us not to be self, self, selfish, but you are becoming selfish. Please be selfless. Remember us. If you go to be with William, where will we be? Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I can go on and on about mm. prayer. I think that deserves a round of applause. Thank you. Now, your career started more in the social work environment. Mm. Would you say it has influenced the work that you do today? Yeah, it did, you know, mm. because as I said, you know, growing up in poverty, you want to become a social worker because you want to assist so many people who are struggling. Mm. You want to ensure that every household has got food on the table. Mm. You want to ensure that people are employed, children are going to school, and you can only do that through becoming, like I said, I wanted to be a medical doctor, but I chose to be a social worker because I wanted to make a difference. And I worked in deep rural communities because I wanted to be there. I did not want to be in cities. I wanted to be in Madibucho, if people know yes. Mafikeng and, <laughs> you know, the deeper side of Rastenbeck and Kunwana and all of those areas. That's where I went. Mm. And I used to walk by foot. No car, but knocking there in all those huts where sometimes you find that people don't have food at all. Mm. And knowingly that these are the people that you want to touch. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm just curious to know, 
when you got the offer to become the CEO of Begin Africa, what made you say yes? Uh, I must say, at first, you know, it was not an easy decision to make. At the time, I was group executive at the Development Bank of Southern Africa. And my interest was to making sure that the Development Bank funds infrastructure on the continent, not only in South Africa, mm. and particularly in sectors like energy, water, housing, and so on, because I wanted to see the improvements in the quality of life of people in those communities and those, and those countries. And when I was approached, I remember in 2010, it was around July, um, this colleague that used to work at the development bank had bought shares in a business which is big in Africa before it became big and, and said to me, Snowy, you know, uh, we've been looking. We want somebody to become a CEO of this business and this is the business. I said, you must be joking. <laughs> I mean, what does that business do? Is it engineering? I said, hey, Bo, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> How do I become a CEO of a company that I don't understand mm. the business and I don't have the experience nor the capability to be able to do that. Mm. And that's one lesson to entrepreneurs. Don't ever be scared of wanting to do something that you don't know. Mm. Never be scared. Take the opportunity. So to cut the story short, Dineo, I, I said I will pray about it because I'm a very prayerful person. So indeed, I took leave from the DVSA for two weeks. I went to AB Islands. AB Islands is north of Ireland, just a, at the tip of England and Ireland. For two weeks, I went to pray. And I asked God, what do you want me to do? And I came out of there very peaceful because God said, I've got an agenda for you, but I'll unpack it mm -hmm. as time goes on. Go and say yes. And I said yes to them. And then I went for the interview. At the time when I was going through the interview, I was going through a divorce. It was the most difficult time of my life. Mm. And, but then I still, I went for the interview and there were shareholders, about 40 shareholders were sitting around the horseshoe table. Everyone was like, boom, what do you know about this? <laughs> and these are engineers, they were, you know, but somehow, you know, when you, are, when you know you've, you're anchored, I said to them, it all depends what you mean when you say you're engineers. What do you actually do? And I asked them the question. They couldn't answer it. And I started unpacking it for them. And um, there was another candidate that went through the interview. And then as I was driving back, I remember I was on the highway. They were on the other side of Amastral at Gualata, Game Lodge. So I was driving, there's a bridge there, there used to be a restaurant underneath, I think it's still there, there are two garages this side to me, you know that road. And so I was coming through and just before that bridge, I got a call from the former CEO and he said to me, congratulations. And I said, congratulations, I said, ah, Francois, yeah, you know what, it's okay, it's God's will if I didn't get the position, good luck with what, he said, no, 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 I mean it when I say congratulations, you got the job. Mm. And that's how I got the position mm. of becoming a CEO. Mm. Wow. The rest is history. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, 
working in a very technical environment which also has elements of race, gender, mm. different languages and countries can be a challenge. How did you maneuver your way through that space, very diverse space? Yeah, I must say, you know, it was not an easy thing. So I, I joined Begin then the same year in 2010 in October. And uh, so the CEO had to hand over to me the, the responsibility. And uh, at the same time, as I said, I was going through a divorce. Uh, secondly, I was expected to become a shareholder in the business. So I needed money to buy shares in the business. And then the third thing was, I'm not an engineer. So, but, you know, as I said, God had said to me, it will be okay. So I started, got the hand over, started working. And then one day God said to me, you must go and, go and pray. I said, uh, Lord, I don't understand. What am I going to pray for? And then he said, no, you see that guy? And he showed me a person. And he said, ask him to go with you to go and pray. A white guy. So we went to pray. I took him. He said, where are you going? I said, no, I want to see the farm that we have as the business. Because we had a farm. So we went there. So when he was showing me when he finished, and I said to him, no, I'm tired. I wanted to sleep. So they went, did their own thing. I went to my room, started praying. I didn't sleep. You cannot believe. I had a notebook, Dineo. I was not looking at the notebook. I was writing. It was like God was downloading this vision. Mm. Firstly, you must turn the company away from being an engineering company to becoming an infrastructure development company. To move out of South Africa onto the continent because it's called Big in Africa, but it's not actually in Africa. Mm. So it's going to be, you're going to expand into, onto the continent. Thirdly, you must choose specific sectors that you grew in struggling. You know, just to divert a little bit. I went to a school where there was no electricity, there was no water, there were no toilets. So we had holes as toilets. A lot of children fell into those toilets, as it's happening today. So God reminded me of that, to say you, you are going to be in water and sanitation, you're going to be in energy, you're going to be in housing, mm -hmm. you're going to be on roads, because you used to walk on dusty roads to go to school. And you're, you're going to put tar roads and so on and so on. And I wrote that down. So I went back the following day, had a business strategy session, and I presented my vision. Everybody was like, wow. Mm. And then that evening, People accepted the vision to say, but how are you going to do it? And the Lord told me, showed me, Dineo, to say, you so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, you are going to be this, you are going to be that, you are going to be this, you are going to be this in this business. And that's how the business became. And, and I'm going to your, to, your, to your question. And at the same time, I did not actually understand what the engine, but I studied a course of non-engineers, an engineer for non-engineers. And I had a mentor, so which is important also for, for, mm -hmm. for, for young entrepreneurs to have a mentor. So I realized there was an older guy, his name is Ian, in the business. I went to him and I asked him, can you be my mentor? He mentored me to understand what they do in engineering for six months. So that was important mm -hmm. so that I can capacitate myself and understand. 
And therefore, it helped me to change the vision, to say, so engineers design, for example, a road from point A to point B. If you want a road that starts here and that goes to an economy activity, whether it's a mining industry, they will draw a straight line from here to here. And the Lord showed me, said, what about schools? What about clinics? What about a farmer who's producing products mm. that needs to go to the market? What happens when the road goes straight? And I use those examples to change the technical thinking of engineers to social thinking, to becoming engineers with a conscience, to say to them, the road that you draw doesn't have to be a straight line. A pipeline that you put water and tunnel water cannot move from a dam straight to Eskom. It must go through communities because communities don't have water. Mm. So we must ensure that there's clean water. So all of that came. But the challenges that came, especially because it's a white male-dominated environment and industry. Let me start first outside. I was one of the three women who were leading an engineering business in South Africa. And two of them were engineers. I was not an engineer. Today, as we speak, none of them are CEOs of those businesses because the male gender and engineering environment, the technical environment, was so rough that because I'm not sure, but for me, I can speak for myself, not being an engineer, because I was anchored, mm. because of resilience, having gone through poverty and all the things that I went through, it assisted me to be resilient and remain, no matter what. Mm. And what happened in the business was also to discover that there were lots of shenanigans that were happening in the business. And when I took out those shenanigans, the shareholders had a revolt on me. Because why? I'm touching the white male. I'm accusing a white male for fraud and stealing money in the business. And which was true. And um, well, at the end of the day, we proved the guy ended up in jail, serving 12-year prison, stole millions from them, the shareholders. They were very white technical people that did not even see what was happening. So it opened their eyes to realize that I'm here for a reason, and I'm here even though I'm not a technical person, even though I'm a woman and I'm black, I have what it takes to become a CEO. And they understood that later on. But it was not easy. Now I can give you lots of examples mm. of how difficult it was. But I remained resilient. And I told myself, I'm going nowhere. If anybody doesn't like me here, let them go. I'm going to. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to transform this organization. And today we've got people like Lisiba and Nodi and Dr. Meg, who's our managing director mm. for Big and Global. The business has expanded onto Africa. Wow. That promise that God made. We are in more than 12 countries on the continent. We've got a head office, which is Big and Global, which Dr. Meg is overseeing, based in Mauritius. You know, growing from one country-focused business to a multi-billionaire-dollar business. Mm. Mm. And that's... Wow. I just want to shift a, a little bit to the issue of unemployment in the country. Is the private sector doing enough? Oh, what a difficult question. Um, 
I don't think we're doing enough. I believe that we can do more. I think the biggest challenge is because private sector operates in a country's economy and they're contributing in the development of the, and the growth of the economy. Mm -hmm. So the majority of what private sector does supports public sector. So public sector spending is very critical in driving the private sector economic activity. And that is very important to understand. Now, if you are in a country where the government has got a bloated public sector wage, where the government is facing procurement issues, where the government is corruptible, let me say it, the economic activity that's supposed to happen, that's supposed to support the private sector. Remember, the private sector also does a lot of work. Mm. I'm speaking from experience. We do a lot of infrastructure programs in South Africa, building dams, building roads. You know, in other countries, for example, in Namibia, we're doing the longest rail line. So if you're doing all of that and you're expecting the payments, because remember, infrastructure is supportive of service delivery for, for, for the country, mm -hmm. and that's supposed to be done by government. And government doesn't pay you yeah. as a private sector. How do you expect to ensure that the private sector can grow and create more jobs? Would want to do that. And I think some of the businesses, some of us, are irrespective of the economic outlook of a country, we still are resilient in those countries, and we continue to create more jobs especially for young entrepreneurs doing enterprise. We do a lot of enterprise development. Mm. Like I said, the Bucky Builders and the women with wheelbarrows. And we also ensure that when it comes to where we can, we are not actually, we don't restructure and go through Section 189, you know, uh, letting people go, layouts, like, mm. you know, what, what we see also in some of the, the private sector. Mm. Now, in the State of the Nation address, um, the president mentioned a platform that they are introducing for women mm. called She Trades, she trades ZA. Yeah, for, for the global, global market. Absolutely. Yes. Mm. Um, how can, you, you know, sometimes when we hear the State of the Nation address, and I'm speaking wearing the hat of an entrepreneur or a businesswoman now, you, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we hear what you're saying, but how do I fit into the picture and how do I take advantage of such opportunities? Yeah, let me start off by saying, I just want to contextualize what came out of SONA as well, because for me it's very mm -hmm. important. Yes. Firstly, you know, uh, and I think Sam spoke about the rate of unemployment in this country. Yes. Youth unemployment is a huge challenge. Mm. And I think the promises that were made by the president, that's my opinion and I want to emphasize that's my opinion mm. the budget speech did not match some of the things that the president announced in the sauna mm. so the president announced in the sauna that there's going to be what we call a youth service program mm -hmm. there was no budget for a youth mm -hmm. service program the president spoke about the, the, the national youth development agency's work together with the small dep department of small businesses yes. to partner together to collaborate to ensure that we address issues of youth unemployment. There was a promise, if you remember the numbers, 100,000 entrepreneurs, young people to be supported through the program mm. and 
in how many years? 100,000 in three years. That's a joke. How many youth are un unemployed in this country? We are not even touching the tip of the iceberg. So I don't see that. And then also there was a promise in terms of women, you know, that platform that was announced. I'm not too sure because there are no clear action plans of saying if women are in this business, you know, um, where is Zanele? Zanele, for example, is in the business of corporate gifts, for example. Yes. How does she ensure that the products, the beautiful products that she produces, go global? Mm -hmm. I'm not too sure if that platform is going to assist you because to get those products onto the market and to be taken globally, you need financial support. Where is the financial support going to come from? You know, it's simple things like those. We've got a tra trade agreements with the BRICS. You know, the first part of call should have been the global market should start first with our partners, with Brazil, with Russia, with India, with China. That should be the starting platform. But it's, it's really not clear. Mm -hmm. So I know that while we're saying there are lots of funds that will be available, I think, you know, it's important that maybe as women, mm -hmm. you know, as businesses, that we create networks to be able to follow up on some of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, probably touching on the budget speech as well, um, I personally get a sense that it was more focused on managing expenses and debt. Do we mm. have a growth strategy there? Well, I, I think you heard that the budget speech, speech is inclusive growth. What does it mean? Inclusive growth is supposed to mean that it, the, the growth of the economy should benefit everyone yeah. that lives in that economy. So I think we still have a lot of challenges and we understand that a lot of money was taken out of most of government institutions through corruption and hopefully that the Zondo Commission will be able to resolve some of these things and we can track back some of the money wherever it is. Do we still have time? Are we good on time? We have five minutes. Five minutes. All right. Um, just a couple of more questions and then we will get to open questions to the floor. All right. Yeah. So business, I want to step outside of um, what we've been talking about and move a little bit more into business being more spiritual. Mm. Business has got a spiritual undertone and it seems to be very difficult to separate spirituality from business. What's your take on that? As I said, I think for me, Dineo, um, like I said, we are unashamedly Christian business. So, and, and spirituality, I guess, and I guess every business, you know, I always say, I always respect Muslims. Mm. Muslims are unapologetic for who they are and what they believe in. Mm. It doesn't matter where they are. I've seen many of them at airports. You know, when it's time for prayer, they take their mat, they go and pray. But we as Christians, we say, can we observe a moment of silence? Mm. Rather than us, if you are given the opportunity, I always say to everywhere where I go, if I'm allowed to lead or to chair anything, I will start that with, a, with a, the, the meeting with a prayer because I've been given the platform to sit. So I represent God and I'm not ashamed of saying that I'm a godly woman. Mm -hmm. So because if it was a Muslim sitting in the very same chair, 
he would also observe Allah in their prayer. So, and, and I think in South Africa, we are blessed because we are given the opportunity to practice our own spirituality without being judged mm -hmm. or being um, looked down, let me say it that way. So everyone is free in this country because we are a secular country. So every religion is open. So business should be able to do whatever they believe in. Mm. But business as well has got a, sp a spiritual connotation in it because although we say business is there for profit, mm. we know that you've got responsibility of looking after the planet and looking after people. So the very fact that you are looking after people the spirituality connection in it, that whether you call it Christianity, whether you call it uh, ancestors, whether you call it, I was listening to somebody yesterday that said he believes in aliens, so he doesn't believe in God. So whatever, you know, whatever, you know, faith that you come from, it's, or whatever, let me say religion, because there's a difference between religion, spirituality yes. and Christianity, so... Yeah, I believe so. Africa is a very rich continent, and most Africans are poor. Why is that? Uh, I think there's a number of reasons. So, and I'm speaking from experience having traveled on the continent for the past 30 years. Africa is a resourceful continent. Mm -hmm. We've got all sorts of minerals on the continent. The beauty of it is that it's not only what is under the ground, the minerals, but also the natural vegetation, the mountains and the rivers, and above all, the people of Africa. So we are rich in that manner. We are rich. Unfortunately, we don't see that wealth. And for me, every time I see Africa, I see Africa arising. I know there's a, a, a son of mine here that also even calls his business Africa Arising. So Africa is arising. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like Africa is poor. Mm -hmm. If Africa was poor, why so many Europeans that are coming onto the continent? Why so many Chinese are on the continent? They're coming because we are rich as a continent. And we need to see that. Mm -hmm. And we need to appreciate that. And we need to ensure that our resources, natural resources, human capital, whatever that we have, is not taken advantage of by those that are coming from outside. Mm. And that's very critical. Last question before we open the floor. What is the Africa you imagine? Okay. Three things, Dineo. The first one is an integrated, united Africa that I see. And for me, what inspires me, and I say it wherever I go on the continent, is that currently we are blessed because we've got Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement as a continent, and it's the biggest in the world. And that allows free movements of goods and services, persons and capital. In the past, as Africans, we were scared to do business amongst each other because there were no clarity in terms of some of the agreements. Most of the agreements were binationals. So for now, the continent is speaking in one voice to say 
we must allow capital to move freely. A lot of companies, my company also, and I've had horror stories of companies. The other day we were at the president's meeting asking us to tell him stories about our experiences on the continent. And I had horror stories of some of the businesses that could not move their capital from those countries. And some of the CEOs that ended up in jail because they refused to pay bribes. So... The Africa, free trade, uh, the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement is resolving those issues. So I'm excited because I can see integration, I can see unity in that. That's the one. The second one, I am really truly praying that the Africa Union's theme for this year, which is silencing the guns, mm. is going to happen. There's a lot of wars let me, let me call them wars, on the continent for various reasons. And some of them not caused by Africa itself, but caused by externalities. So it is important that the guns are silenced so that Africa can grow and Africa can be the brightest light. You always talk about lightning in your book. The light Africa that is bright, that allows Africa to shine rather than to be called a dark Africa. Mm. The last one, uh, Dineo, is that it's my prayer that Africans must see Africans as one people. And also to ensure that the attraction of the right people mm. back to the continent happens. Because currently we've got a lot of Africans that are outside the African continent. We talk about the diaspora. We need to bring those people back onto the continent. And that's my prayer. Because if we run away out of our own continent, mm. people will come onto the continent and come and prescribe things for us that are not even African and that are not African solutions. So it is important that we create ourselves as African, Africans African solutions for Africa. Wow.